today we're going to be talking about criticism in families. It is something that I've looked at for a number of years. I've been aware of um, the balance between criticism and appreciation and how finely tuned it is and how easily it can get out of kilter to be much more criticism than appreciation and also how it changes through the years when you're a, a child you appreciate everything about this bundle of joy that comes to you and then as your expectations build of what that what each age stage should be doing the criticism when they're not achieving those seems to ramp up and your appreciation of them and their deliciousness and and glory seems to ramp down and that's I feel where it starts to go equally I feel that as they go into their teenage years they start being more discerning about how we are with them and that's where their criticism of our parenting picks up and their appreciation of what we bring to them ramps down as well so it becomes this melting pot of of criticism when no one is really loving in the way that they know they should and we've got hurt feeding hurt he's feeding hurt feeding hurt so it would be great to to look at the different communication that we do in the family home and the difference between verbal and nonverbal communication so if we start with children which i would class as under adolescence so maybe below 12 11 12 below high school what are the foundations of communication that we set in that age band around criticism and appreciation well first and foremost Luz, i i think it's important to say and before i answer that question before annette and i go to that question that appreciation is not something that everyone just, that it oozes out of their bodies. It's, we're more likely to go to focusing on the negative. We're more likely in anxiousness or fear or reaction to go to criticizing or go to scrutinizing or go to judging what's going on rather than appreciating. So whether you're on the receiving end of it or whether you're the perpetrator of it, it's letting all of us, each and every one of us knows that when we have a moment where criticism is happening, the quality or the energy that comes with criticism, whether it's nonverbal or verbal in its communication is felt by everyone. The person who's doing it and the person who's on the receiving end of it. So in those moments, we're all, we all can clock what's true, whether it's something that feels harming or something that actually feels loving. But the curious nature of the human being is that we tend to actually go to 
defining or um, delineating what is not okay, or what is not true, rather than actually saying something that's loving. It's like we make it difficult to be loving. We make it difficult to express. We're so not used to actually receiving, knowing how to receive appreciation and love, loving gestures and expression and and to actually give it it as i said it doesn't flow or ooze out of our bodies and yet it is totally natural for us to express like that totally natural and yet we make it confusing or complicating or we hold back and withdraw and this happens with parents and with children and we learn this we learn this behavior but it's it it is also the outside impositions of society and life that come in on us, that compress us in a way or suppress us in a way to actually behave like that. So I just wanted to flag that as a first and foremost feeling that it is sad that we, that we have criticism in relationships, full stop we should be just naturally walking around being able to really express to the intimate detail how much we love one another, how amazing each other is, how amazing each person's expression is in life. But because we are hurt, because we have reactions, because we have been hard done by, or we've had situations that we've experienced in life that are not okay, and also because of the things that come in that impose upon us beliefs and ideals we do we do end up treating each other in a way in a in, in the way that we express that is not loving so i'll say that first it also feels like that foundation sets the tone for everything both inside and outside the home, but potentially they, you can fake it outside, but when you come home, it, you take all the barriers down because here you're supposed to be loved more than anywhere else. Therefore, you perhaps are more sensitive to hearing the criticism or you're more sensitive to the fact that those people aren't behaving in the way, loving way towards you and it gets worse is that is that possible absolutely um, in our homes is where we get hurt the most we carry the hurt from our homes into relationships and then so say for us in relationship counseling counseling in general with people so often we're dealing with hurts with 40 and 50 year olds who are coming for counseling sessions in their relationships that actually date back to something that's occurred with you know um, a sibling when they were six seven eight nine you know or something that mum or dad said or a teacher has has criticized them about it's never been forgotten it stays in the body and they haven't released it they haven't they haven't brought understanding to it they haven't got resolve over it and so they haven't moved forward or they've carried that particular configuration of thought and way of thinking about themselves into every other relationship since. 
and created relationships based on that kind of judgment or misunderstanding or criticism. Wow. So we see the ripple effect of that, you know, the outplay of many, many cycles of situations based on what has been felt and internalized in the home that's hurt, that yeah. hasn't been loving. Alyssa, I'll just add parents and a family might set a foundation or set, set a set of standards in the home for everyone in the household to, to live by. And you might see that at some point in the child's life, they are being responsible with that or, you know, if we could even say obedient to that so that it keeps the harmonious flow of the house running. That's why the standards are there and not just the house in the, in the physical nature of the house, but the relationships as well. But if you as a family and in the parenting don't address the energies that the children are faced with in the outside world, so the energies that come through school, through peers, through sport, through every other avenue that they are exposed to, and, there's, and there's not an open conversation about the fact that we can get very, very affected by energies every day. If there's not the open space or platform or even the understanding of the fact of those energies is if that's not part of the conversation, then the child is going out into the world, feeling all of that imposition and impediment, but maybe doesn't feel like there's an opening or a space for them to come home and talk about that. So they, shut down their sensitivity to that and harden to all of that just to feel like they, they can be okay out in the world, but then shut down in their communication when they come home because they've already gone into the protection. And the moment they're in that shutdown or protection, they're going to be less likely to actually then commit to fulfilling their part in being responsible with those standards. Most families do not contemplate, do not talk about the intensity that children feel and what they feel when they go out into the world. And yet I can distinctly remember my children. I can distinctly remember my childhood um, feeling so much more than was spoken about or consciously understood in terms of what something felt like as opposed to what something looked like. So school, I remember being in the playground when I could only have been about four, three and a half or four. And it's uh, in London, that's when you went to school, you went to preschool then. And I remember feeling the intensity of this, um, learning of the expectations of you know what standard I was supposed to be at or of friendship groups or of people and people would be mean and I remember thinking whoa why are you being mean you don't even know me and not really being able to to get a good explanation from from my mum about why someone would just be mean because they could be mean um or why the teacher would be shouting at us because we didn't understand something, or why, why people, strangers, felt scary, or why I could feel 
um, someone in a bad mood before they, before, you know, either they come home or that I saw them. And you don't have these conversations about what you feel. And so I believe as a parent, we're then ill-equipped to be able to support our children who come home and we can't support them with what they feel because you're told that actually that world of feeling doesn't exist. Therefore, you just have to toughen up and get on with it. But what you've introduced there, Annette, is that if we don't start from there, we're, it's like we're missing the big piece of the pie that explains why they say no and why we have expectations and therefore the criticism comes in. We can't, we can't actually get to why, that, why the criticism's there if we don't actually address the fact that we're not really having conversations about what's really going on. Precisely, and, and the home environment is your apparent sacred place. It's where you're feeling most safe, apparently. But then what if it isn't? Because as Annette said, you're not being able, and, and you're explaining, Ruth, we're not able to then express our deepest feelings and what feels absolutely true in our heart. I know I was pondering on this whilst we were talking just in the beginning that imagine you're a child born into a family that is deeply religious and very strict at that in the religion. And, but you emerge from all of that in your understanding saying this doesn't feel true. What are you going to do then? What if, like for Annette and I, you're born into a family where there's not an understanding of gay sexuality and then you've got to come out in that family and your parents have religious beliefs and they are contra to what, you, what feels true to you. Then how do you deal with that um, juxtaposition because you, you're having to get out from underneath all of these ideals and beliefs that can feel very, very oppressive if, they're, if that is not your truth. The truth that you know, as in like everyone is equal, so we're all to be loved equally. And yet if I'm gay, then my the whole way my family thinks and has been brought up to believe is contra to that so suddenly you're at you're at odds with the beliefs in your family and this situation creates criticism and judgment you've got then the kids against the parents and the parents against the kids it can happen on very very subtle levels those are those are quite you know, ethical moments for a child to be in. But often what you're dealing with is the handed down consciousness from all of your ancestors from both sides of the family that you're dealing with. And as a child, you might naturally react to that because those belief systems you may not value as truth. They may not sit or resonate with the truth that, that you feel in your heart. 
like if you're in an ethnic family and the family says, well, family comes first, blood family comes first. But what if one of your play friends at school feels like family and you've got to distinguish between that because the family has this whole sense of entitlement of this is how it is and then you can't make sense of that. What will naturally occur in those environments is criticism and judgment then. Yeah. And you're underneath the, the oppression of that. You've got to get out from underneath that and find your own way and live your own truth despite the fact that everyone or everything that you've been told by family, by maybe the religion that you were brought up with, by education is saying, it's not okay for you to be this, or it's not okay for you to go this way. Um, then what do you do? Then you're naturally going to be in reaction against those things. And your parents are going to be in reaction or your family members are going to be in reaction to you because out of fear or out of blind ignorance, they're going to be prevailing with the truth that they think that they know and own. And that, that gets overlaid or you get enveloped in that. And that becomes an enormous struggle. So those environments create an enormous amount of tension. And that has been historically a struggle that we see in families all the time. Yeah, because in childhood, they watch the mirroring neurons, you know, a part of their training program. They just watch and learn, watch and learn, watch and learn. And come teenage years, they go, mm, you know what? I don't actually need to take that. I don't need to take on that belief or I don't need to, I don't, I actually don't, don't get that. I'm going to say no to that. And that's where they see teenage rebellion, but actually it's where they're kind of working out what their own beliefs are, what they're feeling in themselves can be contra to something as enormous as their sexuality or enormous as their, their belief systems about the, the church that they have been brought up in, or they haven't been brought in one, but they've actually feel there's a connection to, to religion. And so they're, they're, what, what they then feel is they've got to stand on their own and potentially be ejected by rejection from their family of origin. And that is a dangerous place to be. So they build these friendships, these very tight and strong friendships with people around them, which then poses a problem for the, for the parents because, mm -hmm. you know, those friends are not good enough for you or they're taking you down a wrong path. But actually, as dysfunctional as some of those groups may be, they become family because they are not judged in those groups. Everyone is going down a gurgler together, perhaps, but they're not judged. <laughs> and, that, and that's really what, what they ultimately want is, is to not, is to not be judged, to be valued. But it, it kind of, it comes back to actually being honest about what they're feeling about the impositions of the family consciousness of something that is, or an education or a religion that they are trying, they haven't quite got the words to say, I don't subscribe to that, I don't align to that, but, how, but will I be accepted if I don't mm. within my family unit? Because what if 
you know, that point of, say, adolescence where you do start to want to carve out your own niche and find your own way. And then it happens again. You know, I think if you're open to constantly growing, it happens at, yeah. at many intervals in life, but it definitely happens again around sort of your late teens, early 20s, yeah. where you and, and you, you might then leave those friends. So you sort of depart from the family, even though you still live with them. Yes. at adolescence but then you have these friendships and then you may end up departing from them because you wake up to how you have just followed the pack there yes. sometimes that happens yes. but totally. in terms of the mirroring what you were saying what if at that adolescent stage part of what you're waking up to is and I think this is what you're both saying what you're waking up to is how you have just gone along with or mm. copied or mimicked the behavior that you've witnessed and seen and been around and that's what you take as your normal with your family like for example you being at preschool at three and four years old in the UK and you experience children being mean to you now I presume they're also three and four years old yeah how did they learn already to be mean Absolutely. they weren't born mean no. they weren't born as babies mean so some somehow now, whether it's just because that's their protective mechanism they've already developed because they feel the energies around them all the time and they don't know how to communicate that, or whether they've actually physically witnessed, you know, communication that's not loving or even physical yeah. communication that's not loving. Mm. They've witnessed that. So already by three or four, they've learned, they don't know the word mean, but they've learned a behaviour that expresses a meanness. Mm -hmm. And then what if at adolescence you're waking up to the fact that, hey, I've been mean most of my childhood mm -hmm. to kids at school, but it's actually not me. And then you open your eyes and go, actually, my family can be really mean to each other. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, a, there's many times in our lives where if we're open to continually growing that we can address our part in in our lives and in our environments what we are contributing that's living to a standard and upholding that and continually deepening in those standards or are we are we playing ball with the harm that that exists in our in our world and because this happens in our family environment it's like the perfect breeding ground for learning all of these things but we so don't often put a microscope on it and really look at it. We more look at it via reaction, which is the criticism and the judgment. Yeah. Oh, mum's like this. Or, you know, I had quite a few friends when I was at art school who really wanted to do creative careers, but they were born into families where their parents were intellectuals mm. and professionals and just had to toe the line and do that because their parents wanted them to go to university and they didn't have a say in it. Well, they felt that they didn't have a say in it. A couple of them later on in life have found their way back into creative fields because it was inherent in them. But what is effective in this family environment is finding your voice of truth and finding what's loving. And we have this space from naught to to 10 and then you know or not to 13 and then third because teenage years you change significantly 13 to 21 there are these beautiful cycles where you can really consider what actually is going on in this family 
how have my parents been? And how have I been with, with everyone in the family? And what have I learned? But we're really, we're really encouraged to actually look at it like this, you know, that we're all autonomous members in this group. And some, a lot of times people don't actually really like some of their family members mm -hmm. and they go on to not live with them or not participate with them for the rest of their lives. Some people just go and live overseas or they get married to somebody completely different that their parent doesn't want to have anything to do with. It is, it is incredible breeding ground for a lot of focus on how we are in human relationships, but we don't actually look at it like that. Mm. And the criticism comes because we're reacting to all of that. We're not actually looking at it in a true way. Like there's, there's, not, there's often not a lot of freedom, which is what Annette was talking about. Yeah. You know, there's not a freedom to be who you are. There's like, there's a lot of control. And I know that young people really react to that control. Now the control can come from fear because parents have expectations that are like, well, I've got to bring you up to have everything that I didn't, didn't have, or I don't want you to have to go through the hardships and the struggles. It's not, it's not easy to be a parent and stay steady and allow free will. And there are, you, you can't allow a, a three-year-old free will with sugar, for example. There's, there, are, there are lines, there's standards, there's responsibilities. And often reactions and criticisms happen be, and judgments happen because of reactions to responsibilities. But then you have to we have to understand are those responsibilities true or not true yeah and the comparison of other families as well mm. like oh well my you know another family allows sugar or they allow x y and z why can't we have that to so get into that whole okay no but this is the standard in this house and that can be good or bad you know like it doesn't can be something that's true or it can be something that's that's brought through from the ages of their, you know, how they've been parented. You know, mm. in this house we we have rules and they are non-negotiable. And then in another house it's more more um, liberal. The more liberal, absolutely. But I noticed that what you were saying is all of those ages in life where you actually start developing and changing, exactly the same can be said of that midlife crisis. You know, where you actually suddenly go where you go through menopause, and I would, I would argue that men and women go through a menopause, <laughs> that they suddenly go, enough, I've, I've had enough of conforming to all of mm -hmm. other people's ideals, and I'm finally going to live the life and the person that I know I am. And yet if we can actually do this much earlier, we don't have that angst through our life of, of conforming to relationships, to society. We, we live lovingly not fake love and then finally at 50 go i enough i'm going to finally be the person i want to be <laughs> yeah and and it's it's a great point Luz, because you know often the the criticism that can go from parent to child it can't be 
it can't be not said that sometimes there can be a jealousy in that, mm -hmm. that it comes from jealousy because if the parent is living a life where they don't feel like they've reached their, lived their potential or they've, they're not satisfied or fulfilled in their relationship, even in the, in the, in the marriage, if they're still together or, or whatever relationship they're in, and they see this, let's say the teenager, you know, embarking on this, you know, new era of their lives where they're interested in, in boyfriends and girlfriends and they just want to be with their friends and there's yeah. that freedom and that, that fun, the fun, just the, the, yeah, the freeness of it all. And that parent doesn't feel like they've got that. It's very, um, it's very, very often that, that the parent, they would, they would hate to think that they are jealous of their child, but it's often the case that they're actually jealous because the, the youth that's being reflected to them and there's sort of that thing of, oh, they've got their whole life ahead of them. And they could go and stuff it up entirely anyway. But at that point, they've got, you know, it's that saying they've got their life ahead of them. And that's being reflected to you where you were once that, but you made choices along the way that didn't deliver you the life that you felt was true for you. Yeah. So that can often be part of where the criticism and judgment comes from as well. I love what you said, Ned, because what you were actually saying, and this is felt a lot, is that criticism comes from projection. Yeah. A lot of criticism comes from projection and transference of like what that person was feeling and trying to control in the other. You know, how dare you reflect to me that you're free, free to go off and live your life when I haven't been free. You know, I haven't lived like that. And so often that moment where um, in that age bracket, say it might be a three or a four-year-old age bracket or it might be a, you know, 11 or 12-year-old bracket where the parent is being reflected something that didn't happen to them at that particular time of their life. Yeah. And it's very confronting, you know, like a lot of people have been shut down by at a particular age groups. And then when they see their child in the expansion and the joy and the freedom of them, themselves at that same age group, it can, it can re-trigger uh, stuff that's been suppressed inside of the parent. And then it becomes, uh, if the parent doesn't look at it responsibly and maybe get counselling over it or talk to somebody about it or bring understanding to it, then, of course, it's going to be projected onto the child. And that's going to be a criticism. And that's often the jealousy, you know, because the child is, is loving themselves. You know, if you're a woman and you haven't, if you've got self-worth issues and you see your six-year-old like just absolutely loving herself sick, you know, and enjoying who she is and enjoying her body and you loathe your body, then it's going to be very confronting for you to, to nurture that six-year-old. There's obviously going to be things that reflect back to you that also create disturbance for you. Basically, we need to all be accountable for the responsibility we each have at every stage of our lives every day of our lives mm. so that we're not um you know we're not 
allowing criticism and judgment to express through us. So every, every reflection of every person we're with can be a moment for us to just go, okay, well, why did I just get irritated then? What, what was it about <laughs> that person, whether it's, you know, your, your child, your parent, a friend, a work colleague, what just made me annoyed about what they did? <laughs> and do I have to be, take a bit more responsibility in something that I'm not addressing? Yeah, if you're a parent and you've worked really hard in your life and you've got work ethics and then you have kids who can't be bothered and they're so lazy. <laughs> Tell them to move out. It's so confronting. You know, like, how do you deal with that? You tell them to move out so that they have bills that they have to pay so they actually understand the importance of work. <laughs> well, <laughs> there the is. purpose, well, there's greater purpose of work than paying bills. But <laughs> yeah, within, yeah. within the family environment, there's responsibilities and standards. But it equally can happen to children as well. I mean, lots of children who have been under the parenting of um, a lot of looseness drugs and alcohol culture with their parents. And then the kids become very, very um, vocal and very uh, cause orientated, very political, very ethical about drugs and alcohol. And then they start to judge their parents back. And, you know, or if you're a child and you don't agree with politics and your parents are very political, um, you know, it can go both ways. So it's it's like, as a child, I think you said it earlier, and that you know, when you're emerging and you start to understand what you what you own as your truth inside of you, and then there's also a truth that you can, which is not necessarily the truth inside of you. It's a truth that you can be influenced by in outside culture and outside society and you know um, values and ethics in education and things like that you can be drawn into and influenced by that that can take you off on the tangent then you can be looking at your parents and going well they have no idea they don't know or they're so um, conservative or they're you know, or they're too loose or whatever it might be, you start to judge and react back to that. So I guess what, we've, what we're all saying today is that the family environment is the first environment that we live in that we need to actually regulate or feel what is truth, what's loving, what's not loving, what's truth, what's not true, what's harming, what's healing and we could we could begin to understand that within our family environment and not necessarily judge each other if it's not true or it's not loving but bring understanding and compassion to why those things have occurred how how were mum and dad raised what what kind of ancestry do we have you know um what kind of family ideals and beliefs are being handed down? What are the ethics? Now, at four and five and six, you're not aware of all of that, but you are aware of it energetically because you can feel the, you know, you can feel when something is oppressing you. So I feel like the family environment is our first school of learning. Yeah, and 
the, what we do fall into is criticizing ourselves for having not spotted that for ourselves. And so when we parent, we actually start blaming ourselves for the way our kids are. And we think they failed, but actually we're blaming ourselves for how we've held the space because we haven't addressed that or seen that or spotted that. So our criticism then transfers to their criticism and their criticism themselves transfers to their criticism of us. So <laughs> really it's very much about, you know, if someone's being critical to you, they're being twice as critical to themselves and they're mm. just throwing out something that is just very normal to them. Mm. It's a loop. You can feel that the family environment is a bit of a battleground, if not understood. Mm. It is desperately sad seeing as that's supposed to be your place of safety. Mm. So really what we've, what we've come to in this part is an understanding of how how we get to a place where we're criticizing and we don't really need to go into what the criticism sounds or looks like because actually we're all incredibly familiar with it but I do feel we've got an understanding of how it can happen now mm -hmm. so part two let's talk about some strategies for undoing that or, or, or looking at where they, where they come from in a, in a very practical way so that we can start building something more true. Would that work with both of you? Mm, absolutely. Definitely, Luce. Because what you just described in the, just the last moment, you described the fact that there's a loop of imposition and reaction, which just basically within that, we're just feeding criticism and judgment. And so the part two, what I understand you're suggesting is let's look at how we got ourselves into that and let's look at how we can responsibly get ourselves out of being on the wheel of that loop so we're not a contributor to that. It's like creating little exit points because this is a pattern that's, that's been there for maybe generations. It's not, I don't think we're educated like this in our life in our school in our upbringing in our families so there's going to be nothing that's going to say yay good on you for stopping the criticism everyone's <laughs> going to sort of say yes but the moment you go against one of their pictures you're going to be criticized so if you if you go against society in one of in one of your okay let's stop criticizing there like you know whether it's the university picture or the religion picture or the or the um, sexual um, health or the sexuality picture, you potentially will, will smash a few, which will create tension on a bigger scale from your culture, your community, your wider family. Mm. So you need to be prepared for that. And so these, these exit points may not seal a door. It may just you know, put a door a little bit closed, but then you fall straight through it the next time you come round. So my sense is they're creating, if you imagine a, a racetrack, a figure eight racetrack, they're creating moments of pause and moments that we could go into that pit stop. Pit stop. Yeah. We I think we need to create pit stops. So we can say, all right, what if you did this and then come back on? How does that work? Oh, you're still still getting caught in it. Okay, well let's let's look at whether we went deep enough with that um, whether it was whether you've even done that 
to please someone, to please us, to tick a box on this. And actually it hasn't been a choice you've made for you and you haven't kind of got to why you were doing it in the first place. And that's how it could so easily hook you back in. That's great. The other thing that I think that we could discuss, Lucy, in the second part, maybe go more into detail, is communication in relationships, because this is the birthplace for, you know, understanding how to deal with criticism and judgment. Mm. I mean, uh, I, I hear my nieces and nephews go, don't be judgy, you know, but then I listen to them being judgmental. Yes. And I think that we don't really understand when we are, what, no. what that actually looks like. We have particular pictures about what criticism and judgment look like. Yeah. And, I mean, we could over, everyone, everyone needs to look at communication. Everyone needs to look at tone and the way that we express and whether we're projecting. Everyone needs to, to um, look, reflect back and go, if, was I triggered when I said that? Mm-hmm. And that's why it came out like that. Mm-hmm. We don't understand the, the levels within the, within the level of how we're expressing. So we could talk about that more in detail. For, for family, family groups, it's because it's not, it's not just parents. Oh, no. It's, you know, it's the close members of the family, it's teachers, it's, it's just all the influences that come in. And yeah. as children, we're also bringing our own version of that as well too. So yeah. we're all responsible for our own expression and the quality of that. And that is just the verbal communication. That's not even touching on the nonverbal. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Mm. Which is exactly. our movements, how we're moving mm. as well. So, gosh, sounds like it might be another two, uh, but without these foundations, we're, we can't really parent uh, in a loving way, in a way that doesn't impose on our children and therefore they potentially carry that all the way through to their 40s, 50s, 60s to a point where they go, where they finally start doing some self-healing and, and relieving themselves of shackles that they might have self-imposed. Very true. Very true.